Before thee let my cry come near, O Lord, true to thy word, teach me before thee. We are thankful that you are able to join us today as Pastor Mark Robinette preaches another sermon at Foundation Church here in Mount Sterling, Ohio. If this message is an encouragement to you, and we pray that it will be, please consider taking the time to go to www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org and let us know. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you through His Word. Let my lips thy praise confess, yea, of thy word my tongue would sing, Greetings this Lord's Day, this crisp November morning, in the name of Jesus. Greetings. We are a blessed people, are we not? Yes. Righteousness has its own rewards. We used to say that a lot around here. It was kind of the key to something we came to understand, is that living right and doing right and walking upright before God, we don't do it for what we can earn in heaven, But we really get rewarded for that right now. Amen? Walking uh, with God and loving your neighbor and being honest with your neighbor and not stealing from your neighbor can help to create a very peaceful way to coexist. Amen? Amen. And sometimes living righteous will get you a good name. It can uh, earn you uh, in a company, you know, a good reputation and wealth and all that kind of stuff. Righteousness has its own rewards. But now, if we have only hope in this life, we would be certainly what? We'd be miserable compared to the hope that we now have in the hereafter. But that's not to discount the goodness of God that we can experience right now here on earth. I used to say it this way, or I have started saying it this way a few years ago, to people talk about what heaven's going to be like, and I'll say, why don't we start that right now? Why don't we just, Derek, why don't we just love each other right now the way we're going to love each other in heaven? Why don't we, Amy, why don't we just love each other like that? No, none of the, none of the yucky stuff that's here on earth, none of those unforgiveness, none of the pettiness, just the way we're going to love each other in heaven. Let's just do that right now. How many are ready to sign up for that? Living like we're already in heaven. That's how I want to live. Psalm 32 talks about the blessedness of that as we are called to worship today. Let us hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 32. He says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. When I kept silence, my bone waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. God doesn't just let us live in sin. Amen? Amen. My moisture is turned into draught of the summer. And then he caused a, put a selah in here, a big pause, like, hey, when we don't live right, God doesn't allow his people to live that way. He brings judgment upon us. David then, after the great pause that he put in his psalm here, he said, I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and 
Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. And then he put another pause in there. Selah. We're thinking about it. God has forgiven our sins. That's an exciting thing. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in the time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters they shall not come nigh to thee. Thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. And thou shalt compass me about with the songs of deliverance. And the psalmist put it in again. Selah. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. And I will guide thee with mine eye. Be not as though as the horse or as the mule, which has no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with a bit and a bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall come past him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, ye that are of an upright heart. Can we say, thanks be to God. That's in response to he said shout to the Lord. So let us pray. Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, that you lead us. That you call us to worship you, Lord. That you invite us into your presence. And that here we can forget about all the things we've been thinking about this week. The worries that we had with us yesterday are still there. We can pick them up again tomorrow. But for one day, can we think about you? Can we sing about you? Can we focus on you and forget our toils and troubles and lay our burdens upon you today and rest in you? Oh, Lord, we long to rest in you. We pray today as we come before you confessing our sins that you will do as you always do. Forgive us and wash us from them. Lord, we Come listening for your voice, knowing we will hear it. And Lord, change us by your words. Lord, we're hungry. Feed us, O Lord, with food from heaven. Lord, let us be different when we leave this place than when we came. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, standing as I read for you my text today. My sermon today is called The Blessed Man from Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read the whole psalm. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, 
nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Let us pray. Lord, this is an exciting day as we begin this incredible journey through the book of Psalms. Lord, as we begin this, I pray, Lord, that you would give us supernatural understanding that we might be able to see the, the beauty and your light as it shines forth and it illuminates your word and is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I pray, Lord God, as we come into this season, Lord, that you would speak to us, that we would hear your voice and that by it we would be changed. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm kind of excited about this. You know, I've talked through every book of the Bible pretty much, uh, but I've never taught through the book of Psalms. And the more I read and the more I look into this, the more excited I get about what I believe is going to begin happening in all the people of this church. Uh, for everyone that's ever, I, I've read about this where not too many people will dare to do this, what we're getting ready to do. But those who have, have had a great, great payoff in their congregation and in their, in their lives. So are you guys excited? This study could go on for five years. It could go on for ten. I don't know. It's going to go on for a while. Uh, you'll know this because I only made it through verse one of chapter one today. I had planned on doing the entire chapter and seeing it's only six verses, but that's one week. Think about it, six weeks if I only did one verse a week. I don't think we're going to be trying to do that. I'm not going to shoot for that. But I think this week, I think it's very appropriate that we take... A week. In these words are so much more than poetic suggestions or clever song lyrics written by the psalmist, whoever he was, in this case, for the children of Israel. What we have here are primary, foundational, crucial biblical doctrines that we do very well to take heed to. Uh, the person or persons who collected the Psalms themselves together from to form the entire book appears to have done so as a sort of a preface to the whole book. You know how, Andy, when you wrote your book, you had an introduction to the book? This serves, this Psalm serves as kind of an introduction to the whole book of Psalms. Because of this, I'm going to be focusing mainly on the text of Psalm 1 itself as an introduction to the book of Psalms. Does that make sense? Rather than doing an introduction, I'm going to let it introduce itself. And I'll give you more in the coming weeks of an introduction to the book as a whole. But before then, let me just talk for a few moments about the book of Psalms as a whole. Just a very, very brief introduction before I jump into Psalm 1. As a congregation, we read from the book of Psalms more than any other book. Have you guys noticed that? Every single week we start off, a call to worship comes from where? From the book of Psalms. So every week we hear at least one psalm every single week. 
That's a lot of Psalms. We don't read from the book of Matthew every Sunday or the book of Proverbs every Sunday or the book of Genesis every Sunday, but we always read from the book of Psalms. Not only do we read from the book of Psalms every single week, but what do we also do? We, we're singing from the book of Psalms. When we sing before thee, let my cry come near or bless the man that fears Jehovah or any number of songs that we sing. In fact, I would say more than half of the song we sing, songs we sing are written directly from the Psalms. And even though we read from it and we sing from it and we talk about it, I would say the book of Psalms is probably the least known and understood book as a whole of any book, right? I mean, most people might even think David wrote all of them. David didn't write them all. He wrote a small, well, he didn't write a small portion, but he wrote some of them. He didn't write all of them. Now, we know who wrote the first five books of the law, right? Moses. We know who the gospel writers are by name, but many of the Psalms, we have no idea who wrote them. We don't know what the background is around them. We don't think of it like we do the book of Daniel or Isaiah. We understand why and when many of the prophets of the Old Testament wrote their words, but the Psalms is heavenly used, but it is obscure in so many ways. It covers a thousand years of history. And they are included in the book. So by the time we're done, we'll know so much more about God and his word throughout the Bible. And we'll see all of this from this wonderful book. As uh, some of the great fathers of the church have said, that the book of Psalms is the entire Bible in miniature. In Hebrew and Greek, the word psalm, which we use a lot, basically means praises. Okay? So it is a book of praises. Uh, St. Augustine wrote a book called his Confessions, and his whole book was Confessing to God. And this is a whole book of praises, of praises to God. God, you are good, and your mercy endures forever. Lord, you're good. You look down upon the poor, and you raise him out of the dunghill. Lord, you're good. You smote our enemies, and you will crush them under your feet. Lord, you're good because you gave me a song to sing. Lord, you're good because the wells of salvation are open for me. And in the worship of God from these psalms, we get a picture of not only the words and the theology, Steve, we get a picture of the heart of the people of God. And in fact, we get a good look of what? A, a heart that God said a king who wrote a lot of the, the psalms was a man after God's own. So whose heart are we getting? Not only are we getting David's heart, we're getting the heart of God himself. The book of Psalms was still and was then and still is the songbook of the church. They developed a tradition of certain times when they would sing certain of these holy songs. Some were sung on the Day of Atonement. Some were sung, chanted, and recited while walking up the, the, the steps to the temple after the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Those are called the Psalms of Ascent as they were walking up. Remember that? As they come up the steps, they're quoting God's word. They're quoting God's word. Some of the Psalms were those that Jesus actually quoted as he was dying because he, they were part of this ascent really into death. Each one had a tune associated with it and there were some notations of musical instruction even used that are even inspired, but we really don't even know what they mean at all. We don't know the music of the Psalms. 
One that we do understand, and I mentioned it today in our call to worship, is Selah, or Selah, depending however you want to say it. But it basically means stop. And I really think that when we read it, I think we're not really doing the psalm a service. I don't think we should read it and then say, Selah. I think we should read it and then we should stop. Does that make sense? Because that's what it's telling you to do. It's not, it's not that we're supposed to say stop. It's that we're supposed to do a stop, right? How many music... We, get, we have so many people that know music. What's it called when you stop in music? It's a it's a rest, okay? So that's what they're saying. It's not time to go on. It's not time to go to the next verse. It's time to rest. It's time to savor. It's time to think. As I quickly conclude my brief introduction to the Psalms, I will do so by telling you something about the author of Psalm 1. No one knows for sure who it is. Most people think that David wrote the entire book of Psalms, but as I was telling you, he did not. He did, however, certainly write more than anyone else, having authored 73 of 150 chapters, but that's not quite half. At 150 chapters, though, the book of Psalms is twice as long as far as chapter and verse than any other book of the Bible, but yet its content actually is less. Hebrew words are written a certain way, and actually the books of Jeremiah and Isaiah have more, or Jeremiah, I'm sorry, and Genesis have more content but the book of Psalms have more chapter and verses. The collection of the Psalms seems to have been assembled by a number of different writers, some of you know and some you've never heard of. Moses is said to have written a psalm or maybe more than one psalm. King Solomon wrote some of the Psalms. And we know these well, but there are these other folks who we don't know really much about, a man by the name of Asaph a group of guys called the Sons of Korah, and then we have the Ezraites. Forty of these psalms are what theologian call, theologians call the orphan psalms, meaning we don't know really who they belong to at all. And most agree that Psalm 1 is an orphan psalm, although some argue that maybe Moses wrote it. In fact, I'm not a scholar and a theologian on the level of some of these people are when it comes to the Hebrew language. I don't really know much about it at all. But, but to me, when I read Psalm 1, I can hear Moses. And so I know why the scholars have gone this way. And you'll, you'll get it here in a moment where I can hear Moses. You know, this is one thing too. It's a little add-in. Have you guys ever read the Apocrypha or the Pseudepigrapha? Anybody ever read that? You guys know what that is? These are the books that are non-inspired that were included with the Bible. Uh, the way you might say it today is in the Catholic Bible, if you open it up, there'll be books of the Bible in there that are not in the Bible that we carry around with us. But when you read those, what you'll get, if you're a person who has eaten and loved and tasted and studied the Word of God, you know what you'll get when you read the Apocrypha and the Pseudepigrapha? You'll go, this doesn't sound like it belongs in the Bible. This doesn't, this doesn't have the flavor. This doesn't have the... It just, just doesn't sound that way. But you have to really, really know God's word for it to do that. So when I read Psalm 1, I'm reading Psalm 1, and I have, I have eaten and, and tasted and read a lot of Moses. And as I'm reading Psalm 1, I'm, I can hear Moses in it. That's, that's really all I mean. So I'm not trying to pretend I'm a scholar who knows what I don't know. Psalm 1, let's read it one more time and I'll jump right in here, okay? Blessed is the man that walketh not. Everybody say, walketh not. Walk not. 
Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and If you can say it, just go ahead and say it with me. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. Luke, you and me could write a song. It's only six verses. We could write one, couldn't we? Let's work on this. Maybe we'll, we'll try it. Something we could sing that we could understand that would convey this truth. Now together, these six harmonious verses sing the beauty and the virtue of the blessed man. And when you're reading, you know, I don't know why that, that in the English language it just sounds better. We could say the blessed man, right? But, but you kind of want to say the blessed man, right? And I really think saying the blessed man is the better way because the, ble the blessed man is really not what the Hebrew word really means. It means this. It means blessedness. The blessedness of this man. Kind of like the wholeness, the essence of the man who loves God and his word. His life is a fountain of blessedness. Does that make sense? So it's not just, he got some good things, you know. You know how today, people, will, you'll meet them and they'll say, hello, how you doing? They'll say, I am blessed and highly favored. You, you, ever, you ever meet anybody that says that? You know, good things have been happening to me. God's good to me. You know, look at my new suit and check out my new car and, and look, look at my beautiful wife. I'm blessed and highly favored, okay? That's not what it means. It's talking about the blessedness, the entire issuing of the spring of goodness that comes from the man who knows God and who loves God's word. It's not merely the material goodness that might come, uh, but it is the goodness that's intangible that flows out. I'm, I'm kind of living in that today. Uh, my good sister, Benita, asked me how I was doing today. I said, I'm doing so good, I'm just embarrassed to tell you how good. I feel like a fountain of blessedness today. I'm just reveling in the goodness of God today. Brother Steve, give me a big old bear hug up here. Man, it's good. It is good to know God and to love his people and to have a church and, and to be excited to be with people and to be able to do what you love to do. Isn't that a wonderful thing? So let's say it all together. The blessed man. That's what the psalm is all about. Truly what... All the psalms are all about. As an introduction to all the psalms, this is the singer. The psalmist is the blessed man. He's singing about, oh, how good God is, how much I love him, how good he's been to me, how he isn't going to forget me, how his loving kindness is something that is lifting his soul. I've told you about this guy before, but when I think of uh, blessedness, and if you need to edit this out, or if somehow this sounds bad to you, I'm so sorry. But it's not to me. There is nothing quite like a black man who is thankful. Have you, have you guys? I had this man. His name was Fred Patterson. And, he, you know, we had a church. And, and, and we, it was a very boisterous service, Andy. And I know I've done this before. But, but this man is, to me, the picture of it. There would be a time of testimony. 
And what would he do? You guys have heard me do this before. He would, he would pause. He, would, he had his own Selah. It would be time to testify and he would stand up and he'd go, mm, God's been good to me. And the congregation would just be like, oh yeah, we know what's coming next. And he'd go, oh, he woke me up this morning. He gave me a song to sing. And there's nothing quite like someone who's really serious and really thankful and really filled with the blessedness of God. Those who love God, who seek to follow Him in their ways, those are the blessed ones. But then there are those who are not. And this man, these two, the blessed man, the wise man, the righteous man, are put in stark contrast here in this psalm to the sinner, the scorner, the fool, and the ungodly man. What is that that defines the blessed man? What is his life like? What's his future like? This whole psalm contrasts him to the sinner. Where does he go? Where is he going? What is his life like? What will it be? That's what the whole psalm in total does. But you'll see, I don't get to the whole psalm. I only get to verse 1 because it's just too good. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Verse 1 introduces us to the man of blessedness. This essence of this man, this man who's living the good life. And if you want the good life, live like this. In the opening verse, the blessed man does not do certain things. These things are pictured in actions. And sometimes this is a good way to do it. You know, not just in what we do, but in what we don't do. Okay? We don't do this. Not just in what we do, but what we don't do. Good people just don't do certain things. Amen? We don't do that. At our house, you know, we'll say, hey, we, we don't do that. We don't do that at the table. <laughs> right? It's not what we do. We don't talk about this. It's not table talk. We're not talking about this. We're not doing this. But what he does is he walks not. Everybody say he walks not. He stands not. And he sits not. Can you see, Luke, if you were writing a song, can you see there's some progression here? And, and so I wanted to look into what the melody, what the, what the song was saying. He walks not. Is it just three things that we do? But no, there's a picture of this, and I really think I grabbed a hold of it, Steve. I think I got it. Because I really wanted to get it for you. I really wanted to bring it out. Because it's not just, oh, let's pick three things and throw them in a song. What does it mean to walk not, to stand not, and sit not? Can anyone think of another passage that employs the same kind of a thing? And this is where I begin to hear Moses. See, another man who loves to eat a little bit of Moses. A little bit of, little bit of bread of heaven from the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 6, 7. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and thou shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, when thou walkest by the way when thou liest down and when thou risest up in this picture in deuteronomy chapter 6 i don't think this is formulaic i don't think it's like all right honey if you really want to raise godly children you need to make sure that when they rise up right then you catch them because we got to get them when they rise and you got to catch them right before bed and if, and if you just if you tell them god's good right before bed and then if you have link arms with your children and walk down the road with them, and you got, okay, you got your walk, you got your rise, you got your lie down, you got all that, and the formula works. 
What it's saying is that the totality of our lives should be given to God. Amen? We're not just to give our life to God on Sunday. We're not just to give uh, our holy this and that on one day a week. But it should be something that we breathe in and breathe out. That we eat from the time we wake up to the time we lay down. I'll tell you this, and maybe it's just the great gift of God that I have, but as soon as, soon as I attain consciousness in the morning, Tim, you know what happens to me? Soon as soon as I go, oh wait, I'm awake. It's a natural thing. I'm like, oh God, thank you. Thank you for giving me a day. Now maybe some of you, you know, you're mad you got to go to work and so you hit the alarm clock. I don't know, but for me, I, I just go, oh God. Oh, Lord, I want it to be a good day. Lord, I want it to be your day, Lord. Lord, I want to bring glory to you, Lord. I want to, I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband, Lord. I want to serve the people of our church. It comes out of me. It's just, that's just the way it is. When I lay down and my thoughts are to myself, I, I lay there and I go, Oh, God, what a day you've given me, Lord. What, what good people you've put in my life, Lord. I'm so thankful, Lord. You give me so much work to do. and Lord, help me with it. When you lie down, when you rise up, it's not a formula, a magic thing to make you sure that if, if you do it exactly this way, it's a picture of what happens in the life when it becomes a fountain of God's goodness, of his blessedness. What is being said here in Deuteronomy, I believe, is here in Psalm that it's a way life is being described a totality with progression, though. And this if we want the life of the blessed man, and we most certainly do, living for God must fill the totality of our lives more and more. I wrote this down from C.S. Lewis. Tim usually is sending me text messages that say this. Further up and further in. All right? Is it Tim? You send me that sometime? It's been a while. Further up and further in. So as we'll see right here, it covers what we don't do as well as what we do. Because it's very easy to get derailed from the blessed life. It's very easy to get hung up and mired in what the world is mired in. And so there is a repentance that is always required. If we were going to look at the whole psalm, you will see that the good life starts off when we say goodbye to the old life. Do you understand what I'm saying? You'll see that that what well, and I wrote this down, and so I, I want to I always want to preach it. I never want to look at what I wrote, but I do better if I stick to what I write, okay? So blessed is the man that does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. It's what he does not do, right? Blessed is the man that does not stand in the way of sinners. Blessed is the man that does not sit in the seat of scornful. He doesn't walk, he doesn't stand, he doesn't sit. There's a threefold warning, really, of the same thing, but it's progressive. And what you'll see is that it's a progressive thing that gets worse and worse and worse. You may tell your children that you don't want them to walk in the road. They'll get run over by a car, right? But you want them to be safer than that, don't you, Becky? So you don't just say, don't walk in the road. And, and you see, you know, little Peter, he's out there and he's standing on the white line next to the road. You're like, honey, don't walk in the road. Don't stand on the white line by the road. And then he goes, oh, I'm going to go get a chair. So he goes gets a chair and he sits by the edge of the road two feet away from the white line. And you go, now, Peter, I don't want you to walk in the road. I don't want you to stand by the edge of the road. And I don't want you to sit 
in the chair by the road. Can you see this progression? But in this sense, it's actually a progression in the other direction. Okay? So he starts off with a casual thing. And I'll get to that here in just a moment. Here in Psalm 1, we see this progression from casual sin to entrenchment. This is how it goes. People hate sin when it's finished, right? Everybody hates it. How many have seen sin when it's finished? I just got the text message from someone. You saw me grab my phone up here and I, I put it on airplane mode, but I got a text message. And I got it from someone who's remained in sin and I hadn't seen them in a long time. And I went over to their house this week because they were hungry didn't have any food and their electricity is about to be turned off and you guys helped them out. But I came and, and I was surprised to see that they didn't have any teeth. All the teeth were gone. Not, not even older, old as me. No teeth. Sad. Having difficulty. I've been to the asylum for the person that has been on drugs and has completely lost all touch. I've carried people covered in throw up and, and, and their teeth rotting out from heroin use. I know that's really disgusting. We all hate that, right? I've done the funeral. We hate that. We all hate it. But what we don't hate about sin is where it starts. We hate where it goes, right? But what, are we, what we don't hate so much is the way it starts. But the blessed man, he sees sin at its starting and he, he hates that. He doesn't want to do that. He doesn't want to walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And this is where it begins. It begins in, in the walk. People hate sin when it's finished, but as James tells us, sin when it's finished brings death. The problem is we don't hate it when it starts. Sin seems like the little foxes, the small powerless weeds in our garden. Anyone we will see can encounter an evil man while walking throughout this world, right? Andy, you, you got to go to the bank and, and you got to go to Meyer and you got to pick up your stuff. And, and when you're walking, come on, walk with me, Jason. You can walk. So you're walking around and I'm on my way and I look over. Now he's going to be the ungodly. I'm sorry. So, so for a minute, we're walking and I'm walking with the ungodly. And I might walk with him a little bit, but then he goes this way and I go, my. This is what the picture's being happened. So it says, but, the, but the, the godly man doesn't even walk in the council. The, the righteous man doesn't walk in the council of the ungodly. And you'll see this picture. Now what happens, now we're not doing what? What are we doing? We're standing. So, so see how it gets worse? First, I'm just walking by and encountering him casually. But next, I'm standing. And now I'm spending more time with this ungodly man. But then, what happens when I'm really into it? So now, now we're sitting. See what happens? Sin is casual, it progresses, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And really, that's what you see. We're not to walk in the council of the ungodly. We're not to stand in the way with the sinner or sit in the seat of the scornful. And we'll get to this. The scornful, it's not just a bad guy. It's a really, really, really bad guy. Anyone can walk throughout the world and come in contact with the ungodly and talk with them, perhaps listen to their counsel, all the while walking. But when we stop and stand with sinners, we go deeper in our relationships with them that will bear no good fruit. And at last, when sin is finished, we know 
when we walk and stand with the ungodly, we will end up, no doubt, sitting with them and learning their ways. Before man can follow God and apply His law to his heart, he must first turn away from that which is natural to him. Man is born into sin and willingly follows the crowds of ungodly around him and these desires are in his heart. We, want, we like it when people like us. We like it when people approve of us, when they think, hey, you know what you're doing? Hey, Sam, I really like what you're doing. I really like what you're doing. We like that. We like to be complimented and encouraged. And so we don't like it when people are worried about us and when they don't think we're doing right. We, like, we, don't wanna, we wanna fit in. It's our natural inclination to want to fit in. But what the psalmist here is teaching repentance from sin always precedes righteousness. We won't get to the righteousness yet. But this repentance here is going to happen. The not walking, the not standing, and the not sitting. In Acts chapter 2, when those people had done ungodly, the Apostle Paul told them before they did what was right, they had to do what? They had to repent. They had to stop. Here they realized they would crucified the Lord. He said, what you need to do is you need to repent and be baptized. You need to turn around. And so God calls the righteous man first before he turns to the things of God, he has to turn away from what? If I'm on my way to Tim and I'm going the wrong way, in order for me to go where I need to, I've got to first turn away from Tim and walk the other way. Right? And so that's what the psalmist is teaching us, that repentance and the turning away from sin is the first step as we turn to God, because our natural inclination, Paul, is to walk headlong into sin. We must all die before we what? Before we live. So the psalmist has taken the totality of life of sin and marked it as walking in the counsel of the ungodly, standing in the way of sinners, sitting in the seat of scornful. This certainly is the essence of the life without God. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2. For those of you who wonder why I'm saying that walking like this is walking in the path of destruction. Paul says in Ephesians 2, where in time past you walked. Everybody say, we walked. In time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. Before we came to walk with God, we were walking in darkness. We were heading a direction. It's our nature to follow the crowd, to want to fit in. The blessed man or woman, they don't want to do that. We, want, we, don't, we don't look to the ungodly to give us counsel on how to build our lives. They build on sand. We look to God's Word and the leaders of our church to build our lives on the rock of the Word of God. I've been so encouraged by the young people gathering around my living room, hungry for the Word of God, wanting to hear, why do we believe what we believe? Why do we do what we do? I'm, I'm loving that. I've gotten some thank yous from some parents. But I can tell you right now, I get all the thanks I need from these kids who are, I, I gave them a break where they could eat a pumpkin roll and get something to drink and nobody got up. I'm like, what's wrong with these children? And the question ought to be, what's right with these children? These kids want to know, can you tell us about this? What about that? What if this happens? What? And I'm thinking, oh, ho, 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 this is pretty exciting. But I really want you to, can you guys, can you give me like a good five or ten minutes of listening to this very particular point? Because I think I'm going to connect in a way that's going to be a little bit painful. Are you ready? But it's needful. 
I really feel God dealt with me about this, and I'm going to try to lead you in this, because as good as our kids are, and we can still go the wrong way, right? The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, when we hear this, we might picture, we might be tempted to think of really, really bad people. And this is what, Nevaeh, this is what I sometimes do. I'm sort of an extremist in my mind, and I think, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, what's he do? He doesn't walk in the way of the ungodly. Oh, let me think of some ungodly people. How about drug dealers, uh, gang members, hip-hop singers, thugs? Let's not be like that. Well, that's, how hard's that, guys? Duh, that's pretty... I really don't think the devil is, 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 is shooting for that, Andy. I don't think he's, you know, wanting Matt to turn his hat sideways and, you know, and, and be a hip-hop star, right? But sometimes I think we're tempted to put it there when we hear this, uh, walks not in the council of the ungodly. We shouldn't listen to them. You know, we, we don't need to listen to, I don't even want to name the names of these heathens, right? We don't want to listen to them. But that's what we picture. These kinds of people are easy to steer clear from for most of us and most of our children. We have done a good job of uh, protecting them from influence in these ways. But most of you don't really know anything about their kind of evil anyway, and so it's not really that tempting. But because of this, I think we totally miss out on a real warning. Are you guys ready for the real warning? Now, I'm not the least bit worried any of you are going to join a motorcycle gang or become part of the Nazi party. I'm pretty sure you're not going to do that. But what many of you are doing is something far more difficult to avoid, but just as dangerous. And I'm going to tell a story about me in my life that maybe might help you identify with yours. You see, when I was young, I had a wonderful life, it seemed to me. I was telling the Ratliffs. I stopped by to visit the Ratliffs. We were... Me and Liam were on a walk, and so I was telling him about this. I grew up, and people would just walk in my door. And we used to sit at the table and eat and talk and spend time together. And among those, my mother had five brothers and a dad. And she talked about her brothers and her dad like they were the greatest men on planet Earth. And she loved them. She looked up to them. And I'm telling you, I could go into it. My uncle William was the great white hunter. I went hunting with him. Uh, he could track anything. He could kill anything. Any man that, that, that tried to, you know, throttle him was, gonna, was in for a big, big surprise. Okay? He, he was the kind of guy, he didn't stand down. You stood in his face and it was going to be trouble. And she was like, my, my brothers are tough. My brothers have good character. My brothers are man's men. And, you know, this is very, very... This is very kind of intoxicating to a young man, really. And she honored them and she revered them. And, and, and they sat at our table and I listened to them. And they talked to me about what I was going to do with my future. And they talked to me about how I was going to make a living. And they talked to me about what being a real man was about. And Steve, it was kind of like, yeah, man. My one uncle was a policeman and he had a gun. And he would come in in his uniform and he'd have his gun. And he would tell me about people he encountered. And I was like, wow. What a dude. He was known all over Columbus as Sergeant Mount Vernon. I mean, come on. Whew. He smoked a pipe and he had his gun and, and he had stories and he, he could tell a story. And these guys became legendary in my mind. My grandfather made all of them look like sissies. 
They were terrified of him. We would go together, Andy, and we would go to his house. And these five men that were tougher and stronger and meaner and more manly than any men, if he stood up to them, they would run. They would run from him in sheer terror. He was the man above all men. Now, you might say, what in the world are you talking about? I'm talking about something. I think you're going to, I think you'll understand. Now, my mother, being the youngest, she really looked up to them and, and... I was really saved from my mom. I don't think my mom and my dad realized what this was doing to us. Because you see, we had these people at church that preached and, and they dressed up and they were certain kinds of people, but they weren't really the model of what a real man was supposed to be. They were just church people. And I didn't realize this, but I was getting a model for my life that really wasn't a man of God. None of my uncles went to church. My grandpa didn't go to church. They weren't members of churches. Now, if you would have asked them if they were Christians, what would they say? Absolutely. They weren't Buddhists, right? They weren't Hindu. They certainly weren't Muslims, right? They were Christians. Now, they didn't go to church, and they weren't members of a church, and they didn't submit to their elders, and they, they didn't give to the church, and they, you know, they worked on whatever day they wanted to work on, if that was a Sunday. These men were let out to be more clever than other men. I was very proud. I mean, when I would meet people, I was like, big cat, you know. You know, sometimes praising your own blood relatives is a way of praising yourself. You know what I mean? Look where I come from. I mean, meet, meet Uncle Chip, the policeman. Meet, meet the great white hunter. Meet the grandpa. Do you know I am their grandson? And I can skin a buck, and I can run a trot line, and I can climb a tree, and I can fight a grizzly bear. You know what I mean? Come on, guys. This is, what, this is what we can do. We can encourage our children to have relationships with their blood relatives who are not godly people. And when I say they're not godly, I'm not trying to say they're liars, and I'm not trying to say they don't have character. I'm not trying to say that they uh, deny Christianity with every word, but what I'm saying is they are not godly men. Right? What do godly men do? Godly men love God's word. Godly men worship the Lord on Sunday. Godly men look to his word for their guidance. Godly men obey God's commands. Do they or do they not? My mom and dad never said that her brothers and dad were better than other churchmen, but I kind of knew they were. My Uncle Elmer would smile when he talked about our church and he'd kind of give me a wink. He'd say, when you grow up, you'll understand, Mark. Things aren't just how your mom and dad are telling you. And I was like, I'm listening. Well, I can tell you right now, these men were certainly not the wisest of men. They were ungodly. I won't get into all of their ungodliness, but let's just say they couldn't be members here. I didn't understand what I understand now, but honoring these men was a way my mother used to honor herself. Being proud of your family is a way of thinking. I mean, we want to think of ourselves, but this really fits the category of what John called the pride of life. Everybody say the pride of life. The Bible says this in John. It says, all that is in the world is the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the... 
pride of life, right? So we do good. We're like, all right, let's turn off the TV and let's not make this happen and let's not, not them see these things. But the pride of life is a little bit difficult to turn off. I'm a Robinette. I'm a Johnson. We're manly men. We don't back down to nobody. We're tough. My grandfather could tell the difference between the rooting of, of, of wild boar and turkey. Brother Cook could not do that, Heath. He just couldn't do it. He didn't own it. He didn't carry a pocket knife in his pocket all the time. And I can tell you what, for me, the men that I, I I'm like, hey, these guys at church, they're okay, but man, <laughs> they're not like my uncles. They're not like my grandpa. And I'm telling you, this is something we can do with our children that we don't even know we're doing. They're walking in the counsel of the ungodly. All that is in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And in the pride of our own lives, we can oftentimes encourage our children to look to ungodly men and women as role models. And we can encourage them to walk with them. But we often do better when we don't do that. Let us remember today that our children, parents, our blood relatives are a gift. But they are often as much a hazard as they are a gift. Setting up men who are not members of church, whose lives are not built on Jesus and fit within a body of believers is laying a trap for your children. I'm not saying they shouldn't love them and be kind to them and honor them, but we can allow them to revere them and honor them in an unholy and ungodly way. These relatives will most doubtly be the most influential counselors to our children, but they should not be. The sand that my non-church family counselors led me to could have been as much a disaster to me as it was for my brother and my sister who built their lives on that sand I didn't I heard S.M. Davis one time say this and I don't like everything he says but he has some clever sayings he's saying if you got on he said if you heard that that one only one out of the last three planes made it to New York City would you get on the next one two crashed and one made it would you get on the next one mm -mm, not me and so in my family, we have two who followed in the ways of my family and not our church and my God. Thank God for Bible quizzing. God's word became my counselor above all others. My grandfather, who never attended church a day in his life, except for after he was 80 years old, he would debate and argue the scriptures with me because he had memorized them. Now, there is little more frightening than your child having a biblical scriptural debate with an ungodly man who knows the Bible. This is not good. They oftentimes apply the scriptures in horrible ways and they, they talk about them and they use Bible speak, but they're really not who you want talking to your children about God's words. The blessed man does not walk. Everybody say, he does not walk. In the counsel of the ungodly. All right, you can go to sleep now. And those of you that want more can stick around. I really felt God dealing with my heart about this in our church, and I just wanted you to know it. Now, secondly, the blessed man does not stand in the way of sinners. Now, say stand in the way of sinners. One commentator said when we stand, we are waiting for someone. And we will easily walk in their ways. Merely standing with sinners, drawing near to them in close relationships can be a great danger. Indeed, 
We are to love men enough to bring them the good news of the fellowship, but when we are to seek our friendships, they are not with them. Amen? We're going to be doing outreach. We're, we may be doing outreach at a local church. We need to be careful if friendships form. You may, you may send your kids and allow them to be a part of something. I, as a pastor, I've been very worried about participation in homeschool groups. The reason I've been worried about it is that homeschooling is not the tie that binds us together. We may homeschool, but that's not who we are. Amen? My hope and my goal is not for my child to marry a homeschooler. My hope is that my children marry a man or a woman of God who loves them, who believes our holy faith. Amen? Paul admonishes the Ephesians, now this is different, to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but to rather reprove them. James, the wise pastor of Jerusalem's first church, said this, he said, Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Who your children become friends with, whether they're Christian or not, matters a whole lot. People of God, guard the hearts of your children and make sure they're choosing their friendships wisely. The blessed man does not stand. Everybody say, he does not stand in the way of sinners. Sometimes... The closest friends our kids get sometimes are their cousins. And they're like, well, they're our cousins, you know, they're our, we're blood. Be careful with that. They might be your cousins, they might be your blood, but they may not know your Lord. Thirdly, the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. So what, is, what does that mean? The Bible often speaks of scorners and scoffers and mockers, and, and it uses the exact same word. It's translated scorner, scoffer, and mocker. It's translated in uh, English interchangeably. Especially in the book of Proverbs, the word is, is uh, lutz. A scorner is one who mocks the things of God and expresses his negative opinion of wisdom and derision. You see, at first they walk with them and they kind of learn their ways. Then they stand and they listen to them. But what happens is you'll see that sinners, it's not enough for them uh, to just hang out with you. They hate the things of God. I can tell you this right now. They may act like they're okay with it, but people that don't know God, they absolutely hate the things of God. And eventually, if you get to be close enough to them, they will begin to really tell you what they think. And they'll tell your kids what they think too. A scorner is one who mocks the things of God, expresses his negative opinion of wisdom and with derision. One commentator says it this way, fools may think foolish thoughts, but scorners go a step further and they blurt them out proudly. Scorners are unteachable because they refuse to listen. Proverbs 9.8, Proverbs 13.1, and Proverbs 15.12 say it's really even a waste of time to show a scorner the error of his ways. You might think it's a good idea to just let your kids be with these people, maybe to be a light to them. And God's word says, do not cast your pearls before these swine. Scorners are the worst of the worst. They were all sinners and ungodly will end up if they continue in their evil ways. The Bible gives several characteristics of these scorners 
and warns us to avoid them and beware lest we be like them. Because that's what a scorner does. He doesn't just talk. His goal is to make you his disciple. You'll find this is really true of everyone, even the nicest of scorners. And you go, well, how can someone be called a scorner and be nice? Oh, they are. They're nice. They're nice. They're nice and they know everything. They're nice and they know the best way. They know, and you know what? You know, and your dad, he's a smart guy, but you know, he doesn't know everything. This is, this is where it goes. Andy's got a few relatives like this. You can imagine if you let him spend a little time with uncle, right? Oh, now your dad, he means well, right? He wouldn't be content to just let it go, right? Oh, no, you know what, Corinne? As you get older, you're going to understand that things really aren't the way that your dad says they are. That's what happens, I'm telling you. I'm not saying as a result, never let them see him. I'm saying you better guard their hearts. Folks, we never grow wise if we can't learn from the wise. Amen? You know what's funny to me is some of our own children become like the scorner. I don't know if any of your children have become this way. I've seen it in my house and it really, it's not good. As I was reading about this, I'm like, okay, I see the difference. I see this progression. But when you get to the scorner, the scorner refuses to learn from rebukes or even horrible things that happen to them. I've seen people like this. No matter what, no matter how hard a whipping they get, no matter what gets taken away from them, no matter what consequence you put on them, they don't learn. They're just mad. Kids, you ever find yourself going that way? You know you've been traveling down the road of sin a long time. You've walked with it. You've stood and talked with it. And now you're sitting down in it. You need to repent. Someone comes to you and says, this is what God's word says. You're not doing what God's word says. You need to repent. And you don't like it when they do it. And you don't listen to them. This happens when kids become teenagers a lot of times. They start thinking they know better. That's what the scoffer does. The scorner. He's like, those old fuddy-duddies at our church, they don't know anything. I mean, I've seen Facebook. I know what's really going on out there in the world. The scorner refuses to learn from rebukes or even their own mistakes and the mistakes of others. They just keep doing the same thing over and over and over. You can read about it in Proverbs 13.1. From our Old Testament reading, our memorization a few years ago, remember these words. I had it read for us today. He that reproves a scorner gets himself what? Shame. He that rebukes a wicked man gets himself a blot. Now, kids, how many of you know that God's given you a mom and a dad to rebuke you, to reprove you, to instruct you? So what happens when you go, I can't believe it. I'm not listening to that. I mean, they don't know anything. Folks, I'm telling you right now, that's the devil in your ear. He wants you to sit down with him and talk with him. He wants to be your friend. You know, you're you're wise. Caden, you're so grown. I mean, you're wearing a tie pulled all the way to the top with the top button. button. You're so... Now, you were a child before, but now you're big. That's the devil. He's the the ultimate scorner. Don't listen to your old dad. I mean, your dad's a goofy. 
And that's not hard because Steve is goofy sometimes, right? Not hard for my kids. My kids would be like, Dad does air guitars. Like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. How do you feel when you get corrected, young people? How do you feel? <sighs> Rebecca? Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will. When's the last time you felt love? When someone corrected you? Come on, guys. I'm, this is real preaching right here. I'm telling you. This is where we're at. You know, God's dealing with us. As our kids are going from little tinies to they're getting to be big, this is where, this is where they're headed. They're going to walk in the council of the ungodly. They're going to stand in the way of sinners. And they're going to sit in the seat of scornful. And what happens when they do that? Next thing you know, they're gone. And they're living a life of rebellion because that's the life of the scorner. Reprove not a scorner lest he hate thee. Rebuke a wise man and he will love thee. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be yet... See, the psalmist is giving us a picture of, it's not trying to say, this is not the, uh, we're going to have the sermon on who's the elect and who's not, and if you hate it when people give you instruction, you're not. That's not what's going on here. How many people, you guys all, I believe every single one of you belong to God and have a place in heaven waiting for you. Who wants to go to heaven and live right now like you're going to hell? That's what you do when someone who loves you offers you instruction and brings correction. Do you know when your pastors, when your elders come to you and we sit down with you and we go, hey, we think this needs to change in your life. If you hate it, if you go, who do they think they are to interfere in our lives? What do they think? We're idiots? They treat me like I'm a little child, like I don't know anything. If that feeling wells up in your heart, you need to put that to death and say, bring it on. God's given me someone to love me. He's given me someone to bring me instruction. I'm not going to be a scorner. Now, you've been listening to this about your kids, but are you one? How easy is it, Laura? Right? It's hard, right? Inside, you're just like... <clears throat> I was introducing Matt Clark to this. I, I worked with this kid. And, you know, isn't it funny how like someone has an influence on you? When I was 15 years old, I, I can't get this kid out of my mind. The boss would say something, and he'd go, Tell me. I'll tell you. I'll tell me. I'll tell you, and then you'll be told. <laughs> and he'd walk around, you know, and he did this all the time. And I'm like, I think that may be the actual perfect way to surmise this attitude. Tell me. <laughs> tell me. I'll tell you. And when I tell you, you will be told. Right? That's the attitude that we get. Right? We get correction, and we, we don't like it. Our flesh just goes, Hey! I don't like that. This doesn't feel good. Quit it. Now, we don't like it. You know, when I see my little one, and Gideon's not here. Gideon is, he's growing up. And I'll, Gideon will go, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? And he's trying to get under control. But what's going on is in his heart, he didn't like to be corrected. He didn't like, he's like, Dad! You know, and I'm like, what's going on? Now, I want him to go, I hate it that you've corrected me, Dad. But inside, he's just going, I'm like, wow, son, are you like, you know, did you swallow a weasel or, you know? 
But us grown-ups are this way. You know, your elders come to your house and they tell you you're maybe not doing something with your kids or you're, you're going the wrong way. And inside, you want to completely flip out, but you know you're not five years old and so you can't do that. And so you just kind of like explode inside. That's it. I'm done. I quit. That's what scorners do. How many don't want to be a scorner? See, we've allowed ourselves to walk in the counsel of the ungodly, to stand in the way of sinners, and some of us, even us people that are on the way to heaven, have become like scorners and scoffers. There are some of you I'm terrified to come and talk to because I'm afraid you're going to explode. <laughs> these blots, these scorners, are a great source of strife and contention in the world, and they can be one in the church too. Proverbs 22.10 says, when we get rid of a scorner, We'll have peace. Who here wants to be gotten rid of? I don't. Are you a scorner? I'm getting some head nods. Wow. Is this what you do when those God gives you try to correct and lead you? I won't look. Scorners resent correction. They cause trouble for those who try to show it. Proverbs 9 and Proverbs 15, 12. Do not sit in the seat of the scornful. Live the life of the blessed man. Amen? Proverbs 21, 24 tells us that scorners are arrogant and haughty. We know this keeps them at odds with God because God resists the... How many want God to resist you? You know, we get, we get in trouble with someone in church and we make them out to be our enemy. And God says, no, you make me your enemy. I do not want to be the enemy. I can handle being Steve's enemy. Being God's enemy. Mm -mm. God resists the proud. But what's he do? He gives grace to the humble. I don't want to be at God's with, odds with God. Have you thought about that? So I'm pleading for us today as we are discovering what the blessed life is. I think before we can get into the rest of the verse, we need to repent. Sadly, Proverbs 19.25 tells us that scorners do not even benefit from the severe consequences that come from their own sins. But it does say that they can become a lesson for others. How many want to be that lesson of watching their life be destroyed so we can learn not to sin? How many want to be like Ananias and Sapphira? Like, I don't think I'm going to be like them because God just killed them in front of everybody. Proverbs 19.25, those, they won't listen, they won't learn, but they do become a lesson for others in their obstinance. Some of you on your way to heaven might become a lesson of what it means to not listen to the people of God. And so as a result, God judges you and everyone can go, I think I want to listen. How many want, want to be that? I don't. Here in Psalm 1, we see the blessed man the wise, discerning person, he avoids scorners. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornful. As I told you in this verse, we see the progression from innocence to foolishness to outright scornfulness. It begins with the simple acquaintance, the walk, as we start to listen to the opinions of those who are not living out lives following Christ. 
The downward shift comes when we hang around, when we stand with people who are open and unapologetic of their sins. The result is that we end up sitting in the seat of those who openly, openly mock truth and godliness and we get obstinate souls that can't even be taught. And we live, those of us who live are on our way to heaven, live like those who are on their way to hell. How many want to start this blessedness life right now? Amen. Let's live like we're on our way to heaven. Let's despise the scornful. Let's not stand with the sinners. Let's not listen to the counsel of the ungodly. The blessed man does not walk or stand or sit in these ungodly ways. Now, we've only gotten one verse into our study. It's going to be a good one. And we're going to learn in the coming weeks this rich study. We're going to talk about the blessed man, not just what he doesn't do but what he does. What does he do? Anybody know what he does? Come on, you know the song. We know what he doesn't do, but what does he do? When I read this, knowing I was going to teach it to you, Jeff, when I read that verse, conviction came all over me, and it made me just want to live differently. You go, well, you're, you're a 50-year-old pastor. I'm a 50-year-old pastor who wants to please God. What does he do, Steve? We know what he doesn't do. What's he do? He doesn't walk. He doesn't stand. He doesn't sit. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. We're going to talk about this, Andy. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be exciting. But I didn't want to leave you with the scorner. I didn't want to leave you with the sinner. I didn't want to leave you with the ungodly. I want to leave you with the blessed man. I may not even have to preach about it ever. I, I, I listened to the. I read this and I'm like, oh God. I'm like, I, there's so much I want to turn off. There's so much I want to turn away from. And oh God, I want to turn right to your word. I want to know it. I want to love it. I want to eat it. His delight. I haven't looked up the Hebrew, but I can guarantee you what it is. You know what it is? Delight. He loves it. He eats it up. It's a treasure. It's more to be desired than gold. It's sweeter than the honeycomb. I can tell you right now where we're going. His delight is in the law of the Lord. It's what he loves. Not, oh yeah, that's what he does. Good people do good things. No, no, no. He loves it. His delight's in the law of the Lord, and he thinks about it. He's not thinking about how Peter's not obeying it or how, how Ben is transgressing it. He's thinking, oh God, how can, it, how can it apply to me? How can I do what's right? How can I love the Lord? That's what he's thinking about. He's looking at it as a mirror for himself, not as a way to look at everybody else and how they're not doing it. Amen? And we'll get to that. He doesn't do this. He doesn't do that. He doesn't do the other thing. But he does do what? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Let us pray. Lord, you're so good to us. Lord, your word, you know, this simple song, six verses, and one verse is enough for us to talk about all day. One part of it. The depth of it is unfathomable and unthinkable, Lord. The wealth that you have is beyond our comprehension. 
Lord, in my readings this week, I learned that King Solomon got 25 tons of gold a year besides the taxes he collected. And I thought, wow, that's a lot of gold. That's a lot of money. But I don't feel one bit poorer than Solomon today because I hold in your hand the treasures of the Word of God and I am living the blessed life. And I'm thankful today for all that comes with that. In Christ's name we pray. And all the church said, Amen. Hello, this is Pastor Mark Robinette of Foundation Church. Thank you for taking the opportunity to listen to our audio sermons. We would love to hear from you if you have any comments, questions, or just to let us know how they served you. Go to our website, www.foundationfellowshipchurch.org, and send us a note. Thank you, and it's a pleasure to serve you.